Good morning, Pennington. My name is Sharon, and our scripture reading for today is from Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and verses 25 to 32, reading from the NLT. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy Advent season and happy Thanksgiving. It's been Thanksgiving since the last time we were together. We are beginning an Advent series, walking through God Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, God who is with us. In this series, we will be looking at the relational nature of the God who came to be with us, before us, live life together for all eternity. I want to begin with a Christmas reflection of mine. As a child, um, I was brought to Philadelphia, and someone told me that in Center City, Philadelphia, at the Macy's downtown, there's an incredible Christmas light show. Now, I was only 12, and I'm not quite Gen Z and the digital generation, but I knew a Macy's in Philadelphia with light bulbs and an organ did not sound that exciting to me. I was like, well, I can just you know, pull stuff up on my phone or I can watch this on YouTube. I don't need to go into this. And we walked downtown. It was cold already into the Macy's, the Wanamaker building in downtown Philadelphia. And I sat there in this weird like courtyard space of a mall building department store. And there was a huge wall of light bulbs. And I remember sitting there and thinking, not really sure what this is or what to expect. Then at noon, at noon and six during the holiday season midweek, at noon, all of a sudden, lights came down. Huge organ rings out over the whole space. And then the wall starts transforming different lights for different scenes and acting out different Christmas scenes and the nutcracker and snowflakes and a barrage of lights. And I remember actually at 12 years old sitting there and conceding, this is pretty cool. It's the largest organ in the world, actually, that is played. It's actually in that Wanamaker building from 1955. Um, and over a thousand lights are flashing and going. And there's a moment for me of coming into this experience thinking, all right, wow me. And then sitting there and going, all right, I don't, this is not that cool. This is a Macy's. This is an old thing. And then not having the patience to press in to see what it was really like. 
and to be open to the experience of whimsy and wonder and joy. In the modern experience of church or Christianity in general, yeah, there it is, we are often promised a view of Christianity that in our experience doesn't quite hold up. We think to ourselves, well, okay, love and joy and peace and all of these things that Christ brings into our lives, we're promised this, we come into church and it doesn't quite do it. It's not quite there. I'm like, well, I sat and I listened to a sermon, I heard songs and the lights came down low, but where is this experience? Where is this joy overwhelming? Where is this presence of a living God? The expectation to be wowed by Christ Jesus and then the experience of whatever sometimes we call this. To desire to be truly overwhelmed. Sometimes we are just putting our toe in and our expectations haven't quite been met. We need to patiently press in to see what God has for us. In this With series, we are not just talking about Jesus Christ incarnate. We are not just talking about our belief system. We are talking about a relationship we are invited into, Emmanuel, or with us, God who is here and is relational and is knowable. Can we throw up that next picture? Uh, this is me some years ago. This is January 5th, 2015. Um, this is post-Christmas, me and my friends playing board games late at night. I think this photo is like close to midnight, um, and we're playing board games together. It is a distinct memory of mine because it's also four days after my grandfather's funeral, and my friends were around in town, and they said, hey, why don't we just spend time together, and why don't we just waste a night away, and we drink coffee till really late at night, and we play board games, and we enjoy being together. And it's a distinct memory of mine that we didn't have a real goal. We didn't have a real mission. We weren't trying to accomplish something. The goal of the night was to enjoy each other's presence, was to simply be with each other. I still wistfully each Christmas season think back to this photo and to a night spent with my friends enjoying each other's presence. When we enter into the Advent season, what can it look like if we pivot our expectation on who God is and how we interact with him, not through systems of what we do, but simply stepping into a relationship where God wants to be known by us, to know us, and to enjoy his presence? The joy of not having an agenda, the mission of being with someone, that God in Advent put on flesh in order to live with his people, that he would one day die to have his people live with him forever. The Christmas story is one of incarnation, of God putting on flesh to be with his people. This series, we're going to have a little bit of an arc approach so each week in Advent, we are going to look at several different approaches of how we interact with God, contrasting them with the incarnate Emmanuel being with God. You can see them. there's four we're going to approach. Being for God, being from God, being under God, and being over God. And how each of these can be contrasted with the goal of what we're teaching, what Advent season is about, to be with God. 
and to reimagine the way we relate to God through His Son, the God who is with us. And what we'll do is each week, it's going to be a little different of how we're preaching. We did a nice consistent nine-week series through Hebrews. This will be a little bit uh, more avant-garde. We're going to be interacting together and walking through this series. Each week, we'll talk about one of these approaches. We'll kind of talk about how we engage with God in these sort of flawed ways. Then I'm going to share with you a nativity story, an Advent passage of how someone spent time with God. And then we are going to together practice a Christian prayer exercise communally of being with God. And we're going to encourage you to walk that throughout the 25 days of Christmas, of the Advent season. Okay, so let's talk about today's topic, being for God. What does it mean to be for Him? I want to give you an example of this theology in practice. It looks a little bit like this from Uncle Ben. It's all set up. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. This is spoken to little Peter Parker, who becomes Spider-Man. Uncle Ben doesn't know that he's talking to Spider-Man. He just thinks he's talking to his nephew. And then tragically, Uncle Ben dies. If you didn't know that, where have you been? And then he moves on to be Spider-Man. Throughout the series, and Spider-Man is my favorite comic book hero, there is a running arc that when we are given power or authority or blessing or privilege, whatever it is, the more we get, the more responsibility we have to use it for others. That's a great message. That's a beautiful gospel message in and of itself. And I think Peter Parker lives out in many ways beautiful examples of being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, caring for those around you, giving away your power. But I think also when we overextend this idea, and in the church we can often overextend this idea that God has given us his grace, he's given us his mercy, he's given us the power of his presence and his love, and then we internalize it as, now God has given this great thing, it expects now a great thing from me. I must give my whole life and dedicate and have a mission and a purpose and a plan and I got to work and I got to give and I got to strive. And there is certainly some truth and a gospel truth in that. But when we begin to internalize the burden that comes with this, I have to keep striving, keep working, keep earning. An over-realized view of working for God starts to pile on us guilt, heaped onto our shoulders, expectations and fatigue. We are talking about the God of the universe here. So for many of us, the power and privilege that comes from his love can get internalized as a burden I am striving for and working towards. He is perfect and righteous. We are not. He works so hard. He spoke the world into existence. He put on flesh. He died on a sinner's cross. And we internalize that work ethic. There's a phrase used that the devil never takes a day off, and so neither should we. And my retort is normally, should the devil be our example we're modeling ourselves on? I don't think that that is the case. Jesus spent a lot of time eating and celebrating, and resting, and moving at a pace of joy and love. 
living for God as our approach can become a treadmill of insignificance and burnout. If you've ever lived that journey, you know what I'm talking about. You know that feel. Some of us maybe were raised in church with this expectation. One of the most significant books for me happened in my college years. It was called The Naked Gospel. And being 19, I was like, ooh, provocative to read this book. The first opening chapter spoke of a young man who grew up in the church and felt my whole life is for Christ. And there are people who are going to live and die without ever knowing the gospel message. And he said, I internalized that as a burden that I had to live with every moment of my day. He said, I remember every time I flew on a plane or rode on a train or was on a bus next to a stranger, I would be strategizing the whole time of how to start a conversation to share with them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I remember going to bed at night, and if I hadn't shared the gospel, I would wake myself up out of bed. I would get dressed, go down to a convenience store, purchase something at a 7-Eleven so that I could have a conversation in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, what was a gift of grace and mercy became a burden as I tried to earn my way into it. It was given to me freely as a gift, but now I have to demonstrate that I'm worthy of it. And I have to live up to that expectation. This is the Christian treadmill journey of coming to the altar and repenting again. And next Sunday, coming to the altar and repenting again. I have prayed with at the altar, in my office, church members who say things like, and you are some of them, I keep making the same mistakes over and over I feel like I'm on a treadmill of failure and effort. I don't know how to get off of it. Or it's hard for me to be a part of a church where everybody else has it all together and is living these perfect lives and I know that I'm not and I'm the fake. Or I believe in Jesus, but I just feel so much shame because I'm not living up to the potential that God has for me. The danger of doing for rather than being with God. God has a mission. We get to be a part of that mission. It's an awesome privilege and a joy to work together to bring peace and order and love into this world. Generosity, serving on a team, saying no to our flesh and our spirit, saying no to our flesh and choosing our spirit are ways that we grow like Jesus but it's dangerous to get stuck there. We can be so driven with the mission of making Jesus known that we forget the compassion of living in that presence and power. We begin to think that what matters is not God's love for me, but how much I am accomplishing for God. And we begin to feel burned out for the kingdom. Or we've moved to the other side where we've said, It's so hard to live up to that, that I'm just burnt out, and when I come into God's presence, I just feel shame, that I haven't gotten rid of this sin yet, I haven't overcome this burden yet, I haven't lived into the calling. And I want to encourage you with this prayer from the Apostle Paul, when he says what the goal is of Christian faith, what the mission end is, he prays this over the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14, Paul says, When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, 
the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is not a lazy man. In fact, in his letter to the church in Corinth, at one point, he's responding that they called him or accused him of being timid and lazy. And so he has about a chapter and a half where he's like, oh yeah? And he lists everything that he's done and what he's suffered and what he's accomplished. And then at the end he says, but what I brag about and what I take pride in is my weakness. Because in my weakness, Christ Jesus has met me and has loved me. And he says the end goal is not preaching the gospel. It's not. The end goal is not accomplishing a thriving church body. The end goal is to know Christ Jesus' love and to be known by him fully. Paul says, I pray not that you're preaching the gospel. I pray not that you're standing up to persecution. I pray that your heart would understand the fullness of God's love for you, in you, and through you. That you could rest in his presence knowing that it is done and that you are loved completely. And that when we are struggling on the treadmill of our sin or our shame, we don't think to ourselves, I feel like God is so far from me, but that we are reminded that in our sin and shame, his love has remained the same. That our purpose is to experience his love. In fact, Jesus teaches us a similar idea in Matthew. He talks about the resurrection And he says, at the resurrection, there will be people who appear before me with lots of accomplishments. And they've done a lot for me, but they have never learned how to be with me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 through 23. For me, as a person in ministry, some of the scariest verses. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name. And we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Living a faith life for God rather than with him. We project living for God as a demonstration of strength. The truth is, Living for God and pursuing and working to earn him is not out of strength, but out of insecurity. That in our heart of hearts, we don't believe that we're worthy of love by Christ's blood alone. That we don't believe that Christ Jesus has called us friend unless we've earned that right to be called friend. It's an insecurity that Christ's love isn't enough, that the cross isn't enough, that the Holy Spirit is not poured out by grace and mercy, but that we need to earn it. And we often feel like we aren't good enough or worthy enough for Christ's loving presence. And life for God takes our fear of insignificance and it throws gasoline onto it. That I am insignificant. I'm not worthy of God's love or value, so I must keep working until I am worthy. 
I must keep earning until I matter. It can put God's mission before God himself. That if I could just accomplish, if I could just finish this, if they could see that I set a goal and I accomplished the goal, that they would see what I've done for Christ, that they would remember this act and work and testimony. When we forget that the testimony is never ours, the testimony is what Christ has given to us and what he's doing through us by his Spirit. So it leads into this question, which I think frames up this part of our series. How do you think that God views you? What is your perception of his perception of you? When you are struggling in sin, how do you think God views you? How do you think he perceives you then? Do you believe that God could love you more if you did blank? Or if you stopped doing blank? Where do you find your self-worth? What tells you you're good enough? What tells you you're worthy and have value? To contrast this, I want us to look this morning, and this will be the latter half of this sermon, to look at two people in the nativity story who could not accomplish anything more for Jesus, couldn't do anything, couldn't be a part of his mission, couldn't follow him as disciples because A, that wasn't their call, and B, they were really old. And their story was more past than future. Two people in the nativity story who could do nothing for Jesus but to enjoy him. Simeon and Anna, looking in Luke 22, 22, 25 through 32, as has already been read this morning. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and eagerly was awaiting the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. That's all we know of this man, Simeon, that God had given him a vision that the Messiah was coming and that he wouldn't die until he met the coming Messiah. And then he felt a call that this is the day. Late in his life, he's been waiting patiently to see the Messiah, and he has this call to go to the temple. Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus in order to be uh, blessed and to give the sacrifice for this young child. He's probably around two, maybe three at this point in his life, a toddler. And Simeon sees him, begins to celebrate, is overjoyed by the presence of what God has revealed in Jesus to him. And now there's another person late in life around at this time, Anna, a prophet who was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, 37. Oh, sorry. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. 
She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Anna's not even a part of the story. She inserts herself into the story. Mary and Joseph come, and they're going to do their, their Jewish-Israelite thing. They're going to honor God for the birth of their young child. They know him to be the Messiah, but they're bringing him into the temple. No one else does. He looks like a normal child. Simeon recognizes him. The Spirit speaks to Simeon, and he begins to celebrate Anna, who's been waiting for the Messiah for something like 60 years on her own, coming to the temple, praying, patiently waiting, overhears what's happening She's listening and kind of inserts herself over, walks over, and it's like, this is the Messiah. This is the thing. Oh, yeah, let's go. Runs around the temple telling everybody he's here, the Messiah. It's time to celebrate. Two older Israelites sitting in the temple waiting for the Messiah to come. This is where their story ends. We don't have more of Simeon. We don't have more of Anna. They don't do anything else in the gospel stories. They wait Till this moment, and they celebrate. Three things on being with Jesus we can learn from Simeon and Anna. The first, we cannot add to what Jesus has done. We can't. They couldn't. Their whole call and purpose in life was to wait for him to arrive and then celebrate when he did, take their bow and head off stage. They didn't go about and perform miracles. They didn't heal people. They didn't baptize people. They didn't go into the cities and the byways and preach the gospel. They celebrated right there and their story was over. They didn't contribute anything else. And God called them where their only purpose was to be there and to celebrate. We have a mission in us as a church. 2,000 years later. Some of us are on different age spectrums of where we are in our lives and what season God has for us. But it's important to remember being a part of the mission is a gift and a privilege. And that as Christ calls us, he doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants to partner together. But oftentimes we can begin to internalize that as a burden on our shoulders. I remember 10 years ago in a worship service, praying and worshiping on a Sunday morning here in this church when I was a youth pastor. And I remember, well, maybe 11 years ago. And I remember maybe 12 and praying and feeling this burden on my shoulders over this church, over Pennington, over Mercer County. And I was like, God, we got to do something. We need to make something here. I had this grief that we weren't doing enough, weren't moving forward enough. And I remember distinctly hearing the Spirit speak into my heart and say, you think you care about this more than I do? You think you can do this more than I can? And I remember in that moment feeling a total release and God saying, just worship me and let me do the work that is mine to do. I will build my church, not you. I will rescue my people, not you. And you may have your part to play, but that is a privilege to do not a burden. We cannot add to what Jesus has done. His incarnation, his work on the cross, his resurrection is done, is enough, has the power for all resurrection and all eternity, and we just get to be a part of it. Number two, 
What we can do is we can wait on and enjoy the presence of Jesus. This is what we can do. This is what Simeon and Anna did. They waited on and enjoyed the presence of Jesus. This is their contribution, waiting to meet Jesus and then enjoying his presence when they did. This is a call each of us have. This is what we can do in our lives communally and individually is we can put in the time to wait on Jesus' presence. We can do the hard work in the modern age of being still and quiet and patient, of sitting in the morning stillness and inviting God's presence to speak to us. We can gather together in a small group and encourage each other to listen to the voice of God in Scripture. We can gather on a Sunday morning and we can linger in an altar space inviting God to speak to and work through us, like Simeon and Anna. And when we hear the voice of God, when we're reading Scripture and you get that tug on your heart that God is speaking to you when you're in service and a certain song is hitting you right in the heart or in the gut and you're feeling God speak, we can do what Anna and Simeon did and we can celebrate and be grateful that our God did not remain in the grave but resurrected and is still moving and working among us, that he sent his spirit to connect us with him on this earth for all of our lives. And third and final, we can do what Anna did and we can offer praise and be reminded of how good Jesus is. We can praise him. We can sing it out. We can offer up our songs, our voices, our testimonies, our declarations, and then we can remind each other how good Jesus is. I love the image of this old woman in her 80s running around the temple and telling people it is a great day. It is a day to celebrate. It is a great day that the Messiah is here, that God fulfills his promises, that he cares about his people, that he is knowable and desires to know us, running from person to person and sharing that message. And this doesn't mean that we become the author earlier with a burden on their shoulders to keep telling the story of Jesus, but that out of the abundance of the presence he's speaking into our lives, out of the abundance of being with him, we cannot help but to share that with each other. I'll give you an example. I like reading um, what is known as high sci-fi um, which are sci-fi novels that aren't necessarily pop novels and are very, very long and very esoteric and take about 100 pages till you're like, oh, this is what's happening. I like those books. And when I am living in one and I'm reading it for like an hour a day or I'm sitting up late at night, I want to talk about it. And Caitlin has no desire to hear me talk about it. Because it's this weird world with weird names doing all these odd space things. And I'm like, but I, got, I gotta talk about what's happening because I'm living in it, I'm experiencing it, and it's a dumb fictionalized science world, but it's in me and I'm living in it and I can't help but talk about it. That restaurant you discover for the first time and it feels like this food's changing your life, 
And you're like, I gotta bring somebody else here. I gotta share about this place. That show that you watched that you then binged in one whole week and you're like, who else of our friends has watched this show? I have to talk about it. Is there a YouTube where someone else is explaining the ending of this that we can kind of walk this through together? When you are living and breathing something, you can't help but talk and share and live out of it. And that's what the being with Jesus does. That's the transformation of it. That we've spent so much time in God's presence that we are knowing Jesus and allowing him to know us so fully that it just flows out of us. That I just want to talk about him. I just want to share what he's doing in my life. I want others to know and I want to hear the story of others of what they have experienced in Christ Jesus that we can offer praise and remind each other how good Jesus is. Now, I said this series is a little different. So what we want to do throughout, since this is about being with Jesus and it's inherently active and practical, we want to give you space to practice being with Jesus. Now, you have a lot of hours on your own, at home, at work, driving in a commute that you can practice this. But we also have this sacred 90 minutes or so communally together to practice this and to encourage each other. Maybe picture in this moment this morning, we're at the temple and we've realized that the Messiah has come, the one we've been waiting for, the one we've been longing for. And now we have the privilege of sharing that joy with each other of celebrating it with each other. Throughout the 25 days of Advent, we want to encourage you to take part in this. And we'll give you some tools each week on how to be with Jesus. This week, hopefully when you walked in, you were handed this little sheet of paper here. It'll be in this week's email as well. Um, You can grab it on the way out if you missed it. But it is a biblical pattern of a daily prayer rhythm. Doesn't have to be a long time, five minutes, maybe three minutes even in each time. But we want to encourage you in this Advent season to practice a daily prayer rhythm. What is that? Historically, the church and most likely the early apostles and even Jesus practiced this. We can see Jesus doing pieces of this throughout the gospels, but it's a prayer in the morning, a prayer at midday, and a prayer in the evening. And each one takes a different shape. Morning prayer is going to be an encouragement of praying through the Lord's prayer, binding ourselves, rooting ourselves in the example of what Jesus taught us to pray. And you can just recite the Lord's Prayer slowly. Pray that a few times and just sit in the words of Jesus and let those words be your words. Or you can take the Lord's Prayer as an outline to guide your own prayers. Our Father who art in heaven and you pray for God's authority and you pray over God's sovereignty. Give us this day our daily bread. You thank him for the blessings in your life. To begin each morning, rooting ourselves in the scriptural pattern of prayer that Jesus taught us. At midday, practicing what's known as a missional prayer. This is taking a moment and asking God 
to bind our hearts to the mission he has to seek and save the lost, that all of his children would know him and know his love. And in this, you can pray for people that you desire to know Jesus, that you desire to just experience the love of God that he has for them. But you also can have this time be about transforming your heart. Because you might say, and the pandemic time has really kind of done a, a number on us to this, I know I should care about the lost, but I don't. First, admitting it is the first step of the process. Thank you for being honest. But second is asking God to transform your heart. God, give me a heart for your people the way you have a heart for them. And then third and last is ending the night in a prayer of gratitude. Praying through what you are grateful for. Make a list. Build that list over the 25 days of Advent of all the things God has blessed you with that you are grateful for. You can do this at dinner with your family. You can do this at bed as you're going to sleep. You can do this when you first get home. That is up to you, but to pray a prayer of gratitude. God, I'm so grateful for what you have done, what you are doing, who you are in our lives. And I'll give you some encouragement tools for this. Because if you've never done this before, it's kind of a lot. Even doing it simply three times a day, for some of you might feel like a lot. A couple things you could do. First is use your technology as a positive instead of a negative and set three alarms each day that go off at the times you've decided. 7 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 2 p.m., 7 p.m. Set a little alarm that reminds you it's time to pray and enter in. There are also apps that will do this for you. You can search them pretty easy. Take these sheets. Use it as a guide. We've actually written it out as a way to guide you through the prayer exercise. You can pray that yourself. Third is, we also want to make this time not just individualized, not just you at home praying on your own, but that it is a communal expression we are doing as Pennington AG Church. And so on the seat backs in front of you, those little QR codes, if you go to penningtonag.church, there is a prayer link at the top, super obvious. What God is burdening your heart for, submit it. Ask others to be praying along with you. Ask others to be praying for you. Submit those prayers in so that we can, as we're spending time with God, bring each other into that process. As Anna grabbed others in, that we can grab each other in the process. And lastly, throughout the month of Advent, we will also be gathering here. Our midweek formation nights are Wednesday nights at 7. For the month of Advent, we know it's a busy season, so we will keep it to an hour from seven to eight, we'll be gathered here and praying through this. We'll be using our prayer guides. We'll also be taking all of the prayers submitted throughout the week, and we will be praying through them together. And you are also invited and welcome to bring in whatever your prayer burdens are on a Wednesday night. Whether it's a fear, a concern, a health, a relationship, bring that in and we will pray together and seek God's presence to respond. God is a God who has made himself known. As Emmanuel, God with us. He is to be experienced and he is to be understood and to understand us. That is our pursuit 
in this Advent season. If you could bow your heads with me this morning. I want to offer just a prayer of inviting into that presence with Jesus. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus or you can't say confidently that you know him and are known by him, I want to give you a chance this morning just to pray a simple prayer of taking that first step of knowing him and inviting him in. If you are a follower of Jesus, use this as a moment of commitment into that relationship. If you'll pray this with me. Jesus, in this moment, I want to know you and I want to be known by you. I believe, Jesus, that you came to this earth. You were God incarnate. You put on flesh and you lived and walked among us. That you went to a cross and that you died in my place. You died for my sin and shame. And then on the third day, you rose from the grave conquering sin and death in order that one day we would all be resurrected and have eternal life with you. You gave your life for me. Today, I commit my life to follow you and to know you and be known by you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to close by giving you space. I walked you through this prayer exercise. You can choose this morning how to engage, but I want us to this morning at the beginning of Advent to just take a little step of saying to Jesus, yes, I want to know you. I want to know you more and be known by you. And so I'll invite you, if you can, around the room to stand up with me. The worship team is going to lead us in one final song. And I'll ask our elders to come up on my left and my right. We would love to just pray with you and pray over you. If this morning you feel it on your heart of just, I want to know Jesus more. I want to be known by Jesus more. We would love to just pray that prayer and join with you in that. To come alongside of you and say, yes, I will pray that the Holy Spirit makes Jesus known to you. And we also open up this altar space. You can come up without being prayed for and just pray and seek the presence of God this morning. Allow me to open up this space. Jesus, we invite you in to this altar space. May we know you as you desire to know us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.